133 billion pounds of food is wasted each year, and most of that comes from us. Consumer demand and ignorance of the law are among the principal reasons that supermarkets dispose of perfectly good produce. Our guest heretic, Evan Hazlett of ImperfectProduce.com, is doing something about it. Imperfect Produce delivers the freshest, less-than-perfect-looking fruits and vegetables to homes throughout San Francisco and the Bay Area in California at a fraction of supermarket prices. Find out how to get your share and a special 50% off coupon on your first order, today on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Meet Gina. Gina wanted to lose weight, so she spent two years fasting, detoxing, and dabbling with vegan diets while practicing a shit ton of yoga to lose 25 pounds, but it took so long that nobody noticed. Then, Gina started Frenching her food by eating fatty cheeses, butter, sausages, and red meat, and lost 15 more pounds in only two months. Everybody noticed this time. Frenching your food unlocks the riddle of weight loss that skinny French chicks use to slim down, look young, and live longer despite doing everything wrong. Be like Gina. Start Frenching your food today by visiting nutritionheretic.com forward slash Frenching. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Hello and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. As you know, every week I love to start out with one of my pet peeves. Um, so this this one goes back over 25 years before I became a nutritionist, before I really understood what nutrition was. You know, I, I thought nutrition came in a box in a bag, but I wasn't necessarily very mainstream, so to speak. I was kind of on the road to where I where I am now. So Long story short, I was living in the Bahamas working for Club Med. And while I'm down there, well, just before I leave, I get involved with this guy who ends up being my husband today. <laughs> uh, and and um, so I want to move back to New Jersey. You know, of course, I'm like, screw this up, right? So I, well, but while I'm down in, in uh, the Bahamas, I meet this woman who also lives in New Jersey and she, is an HR person and helps me figure out how to get a job back in New Jersey because after I'm done with my uh, my stint in Club Med. So I come back to New Jersey and she's like, hey, look, you stay with me while you interview for some jobs and, uh, you know, don't worry, you don't have to pay me or anything, whatever. God sent. So Friday night comes around and I come home and I see a whole chicken in the garbage. 
And I'm like, who the fuck throws away a chicken? <laughs> no, like, I'm like, did it fall on the floor? I have no idea what's going on here. I see this. I, so I see this chicken in the, in the garbage and I'm like on the verge of tears. She comes home and I said, what happened to your chicken? It's your chicken's in the garbage. And she, I said, what did it like fall in a bottle of bleach? Like what happened? And she's like, no, we only like the breast meat. Mm. And I, I, I was like, well, you know, um, you could make soup out of the rest. I don't know if you don't like it. Um, and, and, or you could give it to me. I totally just like a, a, a dream of mine, right? That you could just, oh, no, no, we just don't like it. Well, you know, you can buy the breasts without the rest of the chicken. It doesn't taste the same. Yeah. So she came up with an excuse each step of the way why she had to roast the chicken whole, couldn't eat the entire chicken. And therefore it was suitable for the garbage. Fast forward, I realized that. Uh, well, for oh, by the way, making soup, by the way, putting the, the chicken in a pot of water and letting it sit unattended was too much work. So uh, that was her excuse there. So but I realized that she, one, was not buying quality food, so she didn't really care from that standpoint. Uh, but this is a, a huge problem in our country. And I, uh, as a matter of fact, this is also, this goes, my one pet peeve goes into another pet peeve, which is these diet doctors who talk about food in terms of, oh, it's, it's only food. Just, you know, uh, there was one meditation, uh, that I had picked up and I was going to review it and, uh, and recommend it if it was good. Uh, but in the meditation, he talks about how, you know, oh, you don't need that food because it's only food. It just basically saying, just starve yourself because you don't need to eat. And that, that is so the wrong message. I mean, look at the number of eating disorders we have today. I don't think that's the message we want to send. So to make a long story short, this is why I have brought guest heretic Evan. Oh my gosh, Hazlet. It my uh <laughs> You know, I looked at your name and I had it I had it spelled correctly and um spell check uh, changed it to hazelnut. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> that's oh. so funny. And I'm looking at I'm like, that's not your name. Okay, so my guest heretic today is Evan Hazlett <laughs> of imperfectproduce.com. And his mission, if I understand this correctly, is to keep the waste down because even Agriculture Secretary Vilsack a guy who I am not a fan of uh, under normal circumstances has estimated that there is 133 billion pounds of food thrown away each year in the United States. And that's just what they're counting. That's not the stuff in your garbage can. So uh, with that, Evan Hazlett, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> you don't know how hard it is to say not say hazelnut now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. It's a constant joke when I was growing up. And I, I guess I just don't see, I haven't seen the auto, autocorrect uh, do that before because I've added my name to all of my like digital dictionaries. So it's really funny that you had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Imperfect Produce and what do you do? Where are you based? How, and well, we'll get into how people can get in, involved with you later on. Sure. So Imperfect Produce, we're based out of Emeryville. And what we do is deliver ugly produce right to your doorstep at a huge discount. So all of the fruits and vegetables that you would receive in your box, first of all, fully customizable. So you get to choose exactly what you want in it, which is kind of a distinction uh, between us and a lot of other uh, CSA programs, community supported right. agriculture. Um, 
we have both organic and conventional. Our goal is to fight food waste. Um, so that includes all sources of food waste on the farm specifically is where we target. Um, you get to choose organic and conventional. Organic is a little more expensive, conventional a little cheaper. It's up to you. But ultimately the goal to fight food waste on the farm, to raise awareness about it, and then to you know increase access to affordable fresh food. Everything we get is super fresh, just harvested. We only hold it for a couple of days at most. Um, so you're essentially getting all of the same stuff that would be sold in the grocery store at uh, our guarantees, kind of 30 to 50% off grocery store prices. Sometimes it's more. We have special deals every week. Um, so that's what we do. Uh, again, we just expanded to the whole Bay Area. So we originally were serving the East Bay. That's Berkeley, Oakland, Alameda area. Um, and, and now uh, San Francisco, starting last March, and, and literally last week was our first week of deliveries to the entire Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, wow. Um, so that's been a big push for us and obviously an enormous kind of operational expansion. So it's going really well so far, up to about, I think, close to 3,500 boxes a week. Wow. And hopefully continuing to grow. So how, how many people does it take to run something like that? <laughs> so... Kind of, I would, I, I guess you would call it like the office staff. That's operations, uh, management, um, marketing, and administrative stuff. So that's like ten people full time about right now. And then we have um, close to ten, I think, maybe six to ten full time in the warehouse, and then another six to ten part time. So, and that's that's all of the packing, sorting, receiving, handling, storage. It's a huge uh, project. They do an amazing job. Um, and then we have a third-party delivery service out of the East Bay that helps us with deliveries. So they're not our staff. Um, they're helping us out with that. Right. So what what is the, the difference? I actually have two questions with differences. Uh, what is the difference in price that somebody might be looking at? For example, if this were the stuff that they would normally buy at the supermarket, the equivalent of I don't know what the average box looks like, um, uh, but I don't know if there's there's kind of an example of a box that you could say like okay this is you know five apples, a rack of bananas, some <laughs> pears, you know whatever. Sure, <laughs> we have yeah, bananas absolutely. down so, here. <laughs> right, so we don't have bananas. Uh, that's another thing. Everything is ninety uh, percent is California grown, and then we get some seasonal stuff from. Washington, Oregon, Nevada, stuff like apples, and I can't remember. There's a couple other products, but uh, so it, you know, it's mostly seasonal. So no bananas. Sorry, I know people love bananas, but uh, there's certainly, by the way, a lot of food waste uh, in that industry uh, all around the the globe. There's really specific standards for bananas. I won't even get into it, but that's a whole other story. Right. Um, so the the most popular box uh, that we sell is our small organic box. It's about eight or nine pounds of all organic produce. 15 or $16 a week if you stick with the wow. default box. So, you know, it averages out to about $1.50, $1.60 a pound or for organic. And then the conventional is down to 10 or $11 for the same amount. So around a dollar a pound. And, you know, again, with that 30 to 50% off discount in the store, you'd be looking at um, that small organic box of eight or nine pounds being more like $23, $24. So easily. You know, yeah, right. Easily. So you're saving a lot every week. And, the way that it works is we build a default box that's got a good variety. So we, if, in case you forget to customize, we want you to receive a nice variety of both fruits and vegetables in that mixed produce box. But again, you always have the opportunity to customize this. So you could technically turn your small box 
into a thousand pounds of avocados if you wanted to. Right, um, right. <laughs> so we'd probably call you and say, that's a little crazy. Did you add an extra zero? If that's actually what you want, we can make it happen. But <laughs> Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, so you're definitely looking at a lot of like really awesome savings. Um, right, right. And, you know, it, and it changes uh, as the seasons change. So citrus went out in the spring and we got a ton of stone fruit in right now. We got, and then we got some grapefruit and a lot of melons right. um, on the fruit side. So yeah, it, you know, it, it changes what's in the box. Now, do you get any restaurants who are really hot to get their hands on this produce? Because that's just got to improve their bottom line, don't you think? Yeah. So the answer to that is yes and no. There's uh, a lot of interest from restaurants. So I've spoken to a lot of restaurant managers and chefs who are like, this is amazing. I can't believe that we throw out food. I don't care what it looks like. I just want to cut it up and throw it in my recipes and I'll figure out a way to make it happen. Um, and man, I can save money too. That's awesome. So I think there's a lot of initial uh, upfront interest. And then for the most part, our model, you know, we're still not even a year old. I think August 8th is our one year. Wow. Congratulations. So thanks. That's, yes, that's, a, that's a huge uh, amount of growth in such a short period of time. Cause it would just yeah. be me on a bike, you know, <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. we've been really fortunate um, to be growing quickly and, um, but we're still not at a place where our model can serve everyone and restaurants kind of fall into that category generally right now. You know, a lot of restaurants, they want to be able to, um, maybe change up the recipe the night before, mm -hmm. or maybe they have a specific, uh, menu that they use all year long. Um, mm -hmm. and if we don't, if we don't have the exact produce they need, um, that week, then, you know, we're just not as, uh, we're not necessarily as reliable for, a restaurant that's even changing it up or staying consistent because it's, you know, we don't, because all of our produce is seasonal, we're not providing the whole breadth of fruits and veggies you could get from all across, you know, North America, say, um, right. at any given time. So it's a little more difficult for restaurants to work with us. And then it's also at the same time, we don't, de um, we don't deliver every single day of the week to every zip code. So if they right. wanted food on Monday and then food on Thursday, we couldn't do that. It'd be like, if you were in a specific zip code, maybe we only deliver to your area on Thursday. So they, if they wanted to work with us, they'd have to make a, a really firm commitment to seasonality. They'd have to make a really firm commitment to kind of planning their menu at least a week in advance. Right. Um, and so I think ultimately it'd be awesome to work with restaurants. We're just not quite there yet. We get a lot, again, a lot of support from them, but I think the types of initiatives that are more kind of uh, catering based that we do work with are more one-off um, food events. Um, ah, yeah. That there's this awesome organization called Salvage Supper Club. They do like quarterly meals where they use food that would all have been wasted, and so we provided food for one in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, and that was an awesome way to kind of co-advertise uh, our our kind of mutually beneficial initiatives. And but that was you know more of a one-off event. So right, right. So, but you know, there is this trend now with uh, restaurants, and I believe New York has a, a popular restaurant now that uses just peels and the liquid that drains off the chickpeas, mm. and uh, just it's it's all a their whole menu is waste. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Do you happen to know the name? I cannot remember off the top of my head. And I wish I had thought about it before, you know, when I was drafting up my questions, because as you're speaking, I'm remembering, but I'm pretty sure it's in in New York City somewhere. Uh, The name might come to me before we we get off here. But uh, it was I I just thought it was very interesting. Now, some of the stuff, to some extent, I kind of think certain peels and things like that, they're peels for a reason. You know, we the you peel a a cucumber (laughs) and you take out the seeds because they do cause gas and they make you burp and stuff like that. So um, I'm not 100 percent behind certain aspects of it. (laughs) But but I I mean, but the the uh, the initiative is good. It's it's showing I I think where I'm going with this is that it shows the creativity that a chef can bring to the table. And if we and if you keep doing what you're doing and keep making the awareness there, there is more opportunity over time for restaurants to start saying, you know, what, I could do something with this. Oh, you know, yeah. like the like the apples, you can do all kinds of sauces and things that it wouldn't nobody would know right. what it looked like before. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, it may not be perfect for fanning it out on your plate, but it could be perfect for something else. Right, right, and I, you know, I think I think that you're you're totally right on that, and I think chefs are often very creative people, so I think they are definitely a demographic that could really get on board with this. Um, and especially if people are, uh, you know, open-minded to experiencing something slightly different. I mean, I think why, you know, why else go to a restaurant other than to, you know, what an awesome opportunity you have to have someone else cook for you. That's so amazing. And so why not open your mind to something that's potentially different and, and what a cool way to do it by, you know, recovering wasted food. And it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned the liquid uh, chickpeas because actually at this Savage Tucker Club dinner that I mentioned, uh, one the dessert had, I think it was kind of like a, uh, quote unquote whipped cream kind of topping that was made from the liquid of uh, the chickpea sit in because exactly. it's got some sort of protein that's similar to egg whites. So that was really, really cool. There's all sorts of things. You yeah, can that do. was actually one of the recipes this guy was talking about that he was okay. making. So, cool. um, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there, there's so much potential there. And uh, right. it may also be. I mean, when I go to a restaurant, it's more than just having somebody cook for me unless I'm just on the road and can't get home or, or somewhere. But it's right. for me, I want something that I'm not going to make at home. Mm, so, exactly. you know, I if I can if I can roast a duck at home, I don't want to go out and eat roast duck. Now, I don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I want something that's just going to or or, you know, that better be the best freaking duck ever. Yeah. Best if, roast duck of all time. Yeah, right. right yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there's there's a, a, another guy in New York, a, a French chef. I think he has like two Michelin stars and he's got, uh, he makes $130 chicken. <laughs> wow. But well. you know, I don't want to know what he does to the chicken. <laughs> Cause something has to be a little bit obscene about it to get it to $130. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, they say it's, they say it's the most phenomenal chicken you ever put in your mouth. So, right. um, you know, there's that too. So when, when people think of imperfect produce, I'm thinking that the average person, and of course our listeners are not average, but I think that many people will think it's the stuff that's rotting at the regular supermarket. How is imperfect produce not that, or is it that? It's, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking this stuff is not rotting. It just doesn't maybe look as round an apple. Correct. Yeah. No, it's not. And that's definitely a big misconception that we constantly have to battle. Um, so first, right, what we do is, again, we get everything that 
um, is still super fresh, super healthy, totally edible, um, amazing produce uh, that is the wrong size, shape, color for the grocery store. So to give a handful of examples, we get skinny asparagus, we get small avocados, we get Back in the winter, we were getting, if you've heard of cutie, mandarin oranges are yes. branded to be small. We were getting the ones that were too big, um, <laughs> right? We get zucchini that are a little curvy and maybe have a bulbous end um, that grew a little fatter. Uh, uh, we get crooked carrots. We get small broccoli heads. So it's a lot of it is just size and shape. And one of the biggest kind of funny like responses we get from a lot of customers like i i was expecting this to be uglier like right exactly <laughs> you know because all the a lot of the photos we use in our branding are really ugly stuff it's kind of a way of shocking people and raising awareness but at the end of the day i actually would say the sad thing is that the majority of the food you get looks pretty normal um and the the worst thing you might receive is like an uh, uh you know i guess i shouldn't say worse but the most um, unappealing thing you might receive is a, a maybe a, an orange with a really scarred peel. But again, you peel that off, you eat the inside. So we get a lot of scarred citrus. Um, we get uh, a lot of our plums and peaches and nectarines right now have minor, minor, minor surface blemishes. I'm talking really small that maybe it's exposure, overexposure to sun. So the skin turns a slightly different color or maybe it rubs up against a bark, or maybe even a bird like pecked at it a couple times and then it healed over, and it's a slightly different color, like mi minorly different texture, but it's still a perfectly good peach. And so when, unfortunately, uh, the grocery stores won't take this stuff. So when people are harvesting it and they're sorting it in pack houses, you know, they have to discard a lot of this food. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's good for you, but it's ridiculous that that's, and, and, you know, people complain about the price of food. Well, that's where the price of food is going to, because somebody's got to pay for that. And it's the person right. who is, uh, I, I don't want to say duped necessarily, but who is focused on only getting the best looking ones. Right. And uh, I've got to say though, where you live, I think there is an unusual awareness about, farmers markets and and right. imperfect pr produce anyway and what i mean yeah. by that is these people who are complaining that they thought it was going to be uglier they've probably been buying fairly ugly stuff for a couple of years now <laughs> because right. there's there's no short there are there are I, I i call them deserts places like like chicago where you're not allowed to have health food stores for crying out loud mm -hmm. uh and the um you know so people there are kind of stuck with right. whatever comes in the regular supermarket, uh, right. or if they're allowed to grow it in their backyard, which I don't know. But it is, I'll, I'm just going to say this, it is the seat of the American Dietetics Association. So I think it's quite interesting that no health food stores are in that state. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, uh, in, in the, in San Francisco and the Bay Area, there are a ton of, market. So I'm sure people are kind of used right. to seeing that, but that might be a little bit unusual in other parts of the country where they don't get to experience right. what backyard gardening or small right. farms can produce. Right. I think you're spot on. A lot of customers will say, oh, I see this stuff at the farmer's market all the time, or I see this at, um, you know, uh, Berkeley has a, an independent grocery store called Berkeley Bowl and Berkeley Bowl does a I love that place. Yeah, Berkeley's awesome. They actually do a really good job of um I you know I, I can't I haven't talked to them so I can't say what their standards are, but I get the sense that, you know, they're still in a lot of ways beholden to a lot of the uh, mainstream grocery store standards. But they right. do a really good job of trying to 
sell the stuff that's like on its way out for cheaper. They have a good discount section. Um, so yeah, people in the Bay Area have more exposure to this. Also, I'm from the East Coast and it was one of the most amazing things moving out here was seeing all the people that have fruit trees in their backyards. Like what? It's, yeah. it's amazing. So plums and figs and lemons. And so people who have fruit trees or they garden will say, oh yeah, I mean, I get stuff like this all the time and I get even uglier stuff than what you're showing me. So people do have a, a certain consciousness around uh, here that you're probably right will be not as replicated around the country. So that'll, you know, again, we're just in the Bay Area. Well, it's yet to be seen how this will be received um, as we continue to grow and try to expand right. across the country. I think that, again, you know, waste seems to be one of those things that everyone can get on board with and no one supports. No one says waste is a good thing, you know. So I think that will already be shocking to most people, even in places where there isn't a lot of awareness around food issues. And then the second thing is, if we're still able to offer you that huge discount, um, which will always be the goal, then you know you can't argue with a better price if the food is still healthy and it's still fresh. So exactly. kind of retroactively answering your also your previous question, no, we don't we're not getting stuff that's on its on its way out. It's not rotting. And again, that is a huge uh, mis uh, misconception. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it's received. Yeah. Right, right. Well, now this is something I, I picked off of your your website. You, you, it was. I guess it was on your FAQ where the question was essentially, "Does it taste as good?" And you say, "Yes, it does taste as good." <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm going to actually argue with you on that. In that, I, and I learned this from someone who was uh, quite literally dumb as a rock. Okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't normally like to play like I'm so smart, but she was pretty friggin' stupid. Uh, <laughs> so I'm from New York, I can't help it. <laughs> so, but but she lived in Florida, and okay. she told she one thing she see you can learn from anyone, right? She I learned this from her that the citrus when it's got that scarring on it actually is tastier than the citrus that looks perfect on the outside. Oh, so you're arguing by saying you think it's even tastier. Yes, that's what I'm arguing is that it's even tastier because it's the way God intended it to be. You know, it's not manipulated to to look a certain way. It just grows and the way it sees most fit to make itself more tasty. And well, um, <laughs> what I'll say, I'll say anecdotally, uh, the fruit that we've gotten is among the best fruit I've ever had. So that. That's hands down the truth. Um, you know, the pears we had back in the fall, the mandarin oranges we had in the winter, um, the melons and the the the, uh, the plums we have right now are insane. So, uh, first of all, yeah, the stuff we get, it's definitely been among the best tasting. Now, I can't say exactly why that is. It's possible that it's because everything we're getting is so super fresh that right. it's, it's just fresher, maybe, than what you're buying in the grocery store. That's the first thing. Second thing, though, to lend... Uh, some some actually scientific credibility to what you're saying is is yeah is that like there's uh there was a study i think it was specifically done on apples recently um i can't remember the source but uh there was a study to show that apples that had minor scarring on the outside had a higher sugar content higher uh level of antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and the theory was that the fruit produces that extra stuff to as a way of combating whatever it is that's picking at it so, mm -hmm. you know, I guess it sounds like, oh, that stuff's good for humans. Maybe it's not good for the pests that, you know, the antioxidants, the pests that are trying right. to get into the app. So, so actually, yeah. So it's totally, <laughs> again, 
I didn't I look at myself, it. and I don't know if they can extrapolate to all fruit, but definitely there's a possibility there that, right, it could be healthier and tastier. I, I, I think of it as a very similar, as a gardener, I think of it as very similar to the volunteers or the weeds that you get, right, that come up. Because you know that when you go to plant, tomato from seed, you got to plant like 30 to get one, right? The one that's going to be really viable or maybe I'm exaggerating, but you know, you you have to plant many and with the understanding that several will die off and there'll be like one guy or two or three standing that are going to be really strong and vibrant. And for example, I, my landlord had somebody, we used to have these big ugly red grass well not really ugly but just these big ornamental grasses that were kind of just overgrown so she had somebody come and pull them out i had been trying to plant lettuce and basil and something called callaloo which is a a type of spinach uh from from uh jamaica well in my culture it's jamaican uh but anyway i tried to grow all of these the seeds would not sprout. He moves that stuff. A week later, I get basil, lettuce, and callaloo show up in the same spot that he... <laughs> I have no idea how the seeds got there, <laughs> but they are strong and they are healthy. I, I dug them up and I transplanted them to where I wanted them, and yeah. they're fine. They're perfectly fine. Yeah. But everything right. else that I grew, as soon as it got like two leaves, something, some opportunistic thing came and ate them yeah. Uh, yeah. and yeah. so I kind of look at the imperfect produce as similar in that mm. it's again it's just the plant doing what it does best like you say for its survival exactly. and it, it, it's it's right. it's it's got the right combination of things uh to to make it see you know see its life cycle through till we go and pick it Right, exactly. exactly. Uh, so I think there's there's a, a lot to be said for that, and I I have noticed with the scarred uh, oranges, they generally I I, I want to say that every time I've had one since I learned that little tidbit, every time I've had one, it's been juicier than the one so that was juicy. perfect yeah, next totally. to the one the I mean, the one that looked perfect on the outside. It tends down. to be dry, yeah. you know, well, uh, not tends to be dry, but there's more of a risk of it being dry. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally agree. I mean, it was essentially. 10 out of 10. <laughs> of the manners we had is like the, every single one was, was insanely tasty. Yeah. Right. So like, how can you argue with better tasting and saving a couple of bucks every week? I, I think that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. Now, do you see, right. you were talking about possibly expanding across the country. Uh, is, have you considered uh, doing training programs for other states where you teach them how to do something like that. Yeah, I think like that's what you're still doing. a little ways off. I, our goal is to to really – so again, that for, uh, last week was the first week of our full expansion to the Bay Area. Um, so we need some time to really make sure that goes super smooth. We learn all of the, all of the lessons we can possibly learn from any you know, minor mistakes here and there, uh, smooth out the oper- continue to smooth out the operation and iterate, um, and then – the goal, I think, would be first to expand along the West Coast, um, but to continue to kind of use this central hub as our delivery. So I don't right. think we're yet at a point where we're looking into figuring out how to create um, other delivery hubs. Um, right. We're trying to see how much we can do right out of this area right. um, and, and do it in a high-quality way. Uh, so... Yeah, I think that's still a little ways off, but I mean, yeah, hopefully, hopefully at some point we'll, pro- we'll probably need an east, you know, an east coast or a central, central in the central states, uh, a hub 
for delivery. Right. Right. So now when people get involved with buying your produce, is it, is it some kind of like weird novelty thing that they think they're getting involved in? Is it because they, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, people have like these weird fetishy things. I don't know. (laughs) Like what, like what, what do you think is their motivation? Is it the price? Is it, I mean, at this point I'm thinking taste. Uh, is it something else? Is it is it just so they can one up their neighbors? Like, look, you got perfect <laughs> produce. Look at mine. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think there are a lot of reasons. We've done a number of surveys with our customers, uh, and the two things, as we expected, the two things that seem to be the most, uh, the, you know, the biggest reasons people join us. Uh, number one, food waste. So, at least in this area, food waste is still among those who replied to our survey that the biggest reason they get involved. And I think that's because, again, most people, no matter who you are, when they hear the numbers of the amount of food that we're wasting and how it's still super fresh and super healthy, they just want to they want to get involved. They want to support the cause. And that, I think, goes hand in hand with the food consciousness in the Bay Area to begin with. But certainly can imagine, you know, once the rest of the country learns, you know, obviously that it's, it's, it's an issue that's growing in awareness across the country, a lot of news media, you know, national media even is covering it. So clearly this is something the nation cares about. So I think food waste is a big deal. The second is, is the price. You know, if you're saving money and you're combating waste, which is good for the environment, then yeah, it's a win. It's totally a win-win. Uh, there's kind of, there's nothing you can, like, how can you argue with that? Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's the, much, it's, sorry to, to interrupt you, but it's sure. much more dignified than being a freegan. And, uh, which is, uh, do you know what that is? That's, that's going into the dumpsters and garbage cans at the end of the night in sure, the cities yeah. and, and eating people's leftover sandwiches. Uh, I've heard about, <laughs> I heard about freeganism. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. It's, I guess that, that kind of turns just, my stomach. I don't know. Rats in New York, rats in New York city. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on where you are. I think, I think again, I think that's a perfectly if someone else threw it out and they're done with it and you're fine eating it, I think that's a perfectly fine way um, to to nourish yourself as long as you know as long as you it's 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 still healthy and you feel feel safe doing it. I mean, to, it doesn't even have to be people's leftover sandwiches. I'm sure you're aware of all of the food that places like grocery stores throw out at the end of the day, and then they they put them in dumpsters with these big locks, or maybe they forget to lock them sometimes, and then there's just uh, pounds and pounds and pounds and tons of leftover food that's totally fine that you know so uh, hit that maybe hit the sell by date but it's still super fresh so yeah I think I think that's actually if you if you want to commit to that I don't know if you've heard of the uh, the documentary called Just Eat It I have I've heard of it I haven't it's watched worth a watch anyone who has Amazon Prime you can stream it for free at least you could in up until a, uh, a week ago sometimes they change those out but check it out um, it's also on Apple I think on Apple TV. Uh, the educational cuts only 50 minutes. It's so worth a watch, and it follows a couple that spend six months um, only eating food that would be wasted. And the majority of what they eat comes from grocery stores. And you'll see how they just fill their house full of just so much food they can't even begin to eat. So I think that's <laughs> I think that's a fine way to right yeah to consume. It's... But so I feel like I totally I feel like you asked a question, and I totally. Ran away from it. No, I was just saying that it was more dignified than than (laughs) eating out of the dumpster. (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, well, also you can you can know that you're you're supporting you're directly supporting farmers. So when farm farmers unfortunately kind of bear the burden of a lot of the perceived ills in our food system, and and you know the majority of it's not their fault. Uh, 
the majority of it is, is structural. And so they're not discarding this food because they want to. They're discarding it because there are grocery store standards that are uh, perpetuated by consumer standards right. that don't allow them to sell this food. So when you buy it from us, uh, farmers are making extra money on food that you know normally they would either get a really low price on something else like sending it to be processed, uh, fruit to be processed into juices or smoothies or or they compost it or feed it to animals, or it would just be left in the field, or uh, a lot of it gets shipped to a landfill. So these are other, uh, you know, these are all different ways the food is uh, still technically wasted because it was grown for human consumption as a fresh fruit or vegetable, and then doesn't end up in a human's mouth um, in that form. And so with us, yeah, you're in a sense you're dignified. I mean, you're 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 saving money, and farmers are making more money. So it's an absolutely awesome and and. I've been fortunate enough to spend some time on farms in other countries and as well as farms here, uh, where actually there's, I haven't really stayed too much on farms here as much as I have visited the farms and, you know, see how the farmers live. And unless they actually, the farmer themselves actually comes from money and is doing this kind of as a hobby, the, it's, it's kind of, um, depressing often to see how some farmers are forced to live. And a lot of it has to do with the fact uh, that they're being gouged by the big box stores. But then on top of it, there's this this incredible amount of waste that they cannot sell, or at least they are so tired they haven't figured out another way to sell it. Uh, right. So that, that's why it's right. so wonderful to see something like uh, like what you're doing coming along and and taking some of that burden off. And as a matter of fact, I have somebody else I got to line up soon who's uh, using uh, uh, fruit waste here in Hawaii to create ciders. Oh, and, cool. um, yeah, so, you know, that's it's going to be really interesting, like diff- different types of tropical ciders. Uh, oh, very based cool. based awesome. from yeah, like all kinds of fruit that we have here. Um, so, what is? Do you know anything about the reason why why are these supermarkets not giving this leftover produce to food kitchens? Like, I have an I have two avocado trees that I shit you not they will have at least two hundred avocados each in my backyard. Right. When I talked to my landlady about it and I said, you know, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, give some, you know, I mean, I know she likes them, but there's always so much that, you know, two families can, can consume. So right. we have a food bank down the street. I'm bringing it to them, you know, when, I, when those are ready, because I can't eat all of that. And, right. I, you know, yeah, my kids could sell it by the side of the road, but for all intents and purposes, their needs are, are being met. So right. why not, you know, move it, at least get some fresh food into the, into the, the uh, people who can't afford. Right. Um, I, I would what, use, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, what is the reason uh, or the rationale why more churches are not normally absorbing some of this, uh, this, this leftover produce or these imperfect pieces? Oh, Do you know what man, I'm saying? I, th- I think it's a really, it's a complicated question, but I think there's a couple of reasons why, and it could be any number or combination of them for any source of food uh, waste uh, in the grocery store. So to take, actually to take your experience as an example. So that's awesome that you take, you know, the leftover fruit that you can't eat down to the food bank. That's so cool. So I know a lot of people don't do that. Um, even just in their homes, a lot of people in Berkeley, Oakland who have fruit trees out back out front and oh my goodness, you should see the abundance on these trees. And, I'm talking hundreds of lemons in in a in one tree on one block 
hanging out over the sidewalk and you can right. see them falling onto the sidewalk. There was a fig tree in Oakland hanging out over the sidewalk and there was literally like <laughs> an old kind of crusted puddle of figs that had fallen on the sidewalk and people had stepped on and squished just over and over oh, over geez. the course of over the course of weeks. And I and I don't don't hold me to this, but I'm pretty sure there's actually um, some sort of whatever law or, or rule that says that if a uh, if a tree is hanging over a public sidewalk, that you know, kind of that fruit is up for grabs yeah. um, by anyone. So I took a bunch of figs, um, but again, was like, wow, you know, these people are are letting their figs just drop onto the sidewalk and literally get stepped on by people instead of getting their neighbors or friends or volunteers to harvest it and take it to someone who can eat it. And and then you multiply that by hundreds of thousands of trees across the East Bay, the Bay Area that are just dropping tons of food on the sidewalk and in the backyard and it's decomposing. So for the same exact reason, and I'm going to guess for most of those people, it's because A, they considered an inconvenience or they don't have the time or maybe they just don't care. Uh, so that's the first kind of, I will say, kind of structural reason why perhaps grocery stores aren't doing this. Maybe they consider it an inconvenience. Maybe they have to actually spend time and money connecting with nonprofits and, and, and churches that would take this food and they've decided that's not worth it to them. And then maybe, who knows, maybe the store manager just doesn't care. I'm not speaking from experience. I haven't spoken to a store manager, so I wouldn't know, but I imagine that's probably one of the reasons. The second thing is there's a huge misunderstanding around donated food. So a lot of people don't know that in the 90s, I think it was under Bill Clinton, there was a um, there was a law passed called the Good Samaritan Food Liability Act that frees from liability anyone who donates food in good faith, knowing that at the time of donation it's safe, it was handled well, it's going to be transported well, and it was and it was healthy at the moment of donation. So and then they're free from liability. If someone gets sick after that, it's not right. their fault. They gave it in good faith. Um, I, I, I actually remember and, that, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds yeah, very so familiar, lot, yeah. Right, and a lot of people do not know that that exists. And I think a lot of grocery stores, grocery store managers also don't know that that's a real thing. So, And you, when you watch this documentary, Just Eat It, they go into the grocery store and they kind of ask people, you know, why isn't this being donated? And the common answer is, oh, we'll get in trouble. Like, we'll get we'll get sued. There's liability. And it's just not true. That's just not true. So right. um, whether that's their outward messaging or that's actually what they believe, that's the, a lot of the reason. That's the reason that they'll use often. Um, and, and I want to say that I've ever heard that as well from some institutions that normally, you know, it's sort of like beggars can't be choosers kind of thing. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And You're then, shopping at the dump and you don't know that things may not be perfect? <laughs> right, right. No, no, exactly, right? Yeah. So that's like, come on. <laughs> but, um, but then, and then the last reason uh, is that I think just from a public perception standpoint, grocery stores do not want you to know how much food they waste. Yeah. Um, they don't want you to know that like part of the way that they've decided to market themselves and keep a customer base, a steady uh, kind of loyal customer base is by making sure that everything they do sell always, 100% of the time, looks perfect um, and that they set it up in the grocery store with you know spray machines that keep the vegetables always like a little dewy and a little wet so they look fresh right. and they have they literally have certain uh uh they have different lights that have different uh uh light waves that make the the produce literally when the light bounces off and then comes to your eye it looks brighter and more colorful and more fresh to you so they do all these things to make to make it uh it appear they always keep their 
um, vegetable and fruit carts full. So there's this um, this kind of perception of abundance, constant abundance. Right. Um, so they're willing to take those losses if it means that they can keep customers because the American consumer, and this is again where it comes back on us, and I would say to all the listeners and then to all your friends that you talk to about this, um, remember that like our our um, desires factor into this as well. So if we turn our nose up at this stuff and and we don't buy it, the, that the grocery store takes note and then they don't sell it. And actually, I'm I would say it's so structural now that it's not even like it's not at a point where we even have a choice anymore. It's not like the grocery store tests out, oh, let's put out some ugly stuff or some maybe not perfectly fresh looking stuff and see if people take it or let's tell them there's wasted food and see if someone wants to get it donated. They just don't tell you anymore. So it's not, it's to a certain extent, there's just not enough information um, for us to take a stand. But remember that when you're in the grocery store, like we feed into this as well when we don't take the stuff that looks ugly or, you know, we don't shoot, you know, you know, there's so many, yeah, there's so many structural issues, but those are the I say those are the main reasons you're not seeing grocery stores doing this. Well, yeah, they, they, their job is to respond to consumer demand. They're trying to make their, their job as easy as possible. Uh, we turn around and we want them to do one thing, but the messaging we give them is incredibly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that we would ever – we actually touched on this before we got on the air uh, – we would ever get as uh, – obsessed with perfection as uh japan apparently is uh, uh recently well you know japan they're known for their bonsai right these beautiful <laughs> perfectly sculpted mini trees uh mm-hmm. and i know there's some bonsai lovers gonna yell at me that that's the wrong description but anyway that's that's <laughs> how i see it as a as a lay person okay that's how i see it uh mm-hmm. but they've got this obsession in japan with perfect produce so I'm listening to the radio the other day and they're interview. I think it was on the BBC and they're interviewing, uh, these people who had been to Japan and they were selling grapes, one bunch of grapes for $360. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and in the process of making these perfect, you can go online, you'll look up perfect uh produce in japan you'll see grapes individually you know hanging on the vine with a little hat on them (laughs) and melons lined up perfectly i don't even know how to get the melon to grow this way but they're perfectly round again the little hat individually so the rain won't touch it (laughs) when it comes Mm. down like i mean Mm. they are obsessed and and these Mm. these uh this perfect produce now is uh, the intent is to uh, give give it away as gifts apparently more more than anything and uh, I, I don't know if you're aware at least this is the way they were telling it on the BBC which is that when you're in a business meeting when you go to a meeting you're supposed to bring a gift for the boss. Mm, okay. And so people will spend, you know, and obviously the more you spend on the gift, the better you look to the boss. So they will spend $360 on these grapes and give them to the boss. Right. And in hopes of currying favor. Uh do, do you think we'll ever get that bad? <laughs> like are, Jeez, are we headed in are we headed in that direction or or do you think that maybe one day we'll be on the other side? Where we will start to pass a law similar to France's, which says you cannot, th- you know, there's there's too much food waste. There are too many people on the streets homeless or or can't get an, uh, access to good fresh food. Let's, you know, you, you're you're we're going to force you now to donate this at the end yeah. of the day. 
Well, geez, I mean, that's a really interesting question. And I think I'd want to learn, firstly, more, a lot more about exactly what it means to the Japanese uh, to have this perfect produce. Is it about, is it so much about the shape and size or is it about just the way it's, um, you know, displayed to customers? Because I know from what I know of Japanese culture, there's a lot of attention to display and, you know, when you dine out, just kind of uh, perfect setup and there's, um, there's also an, uh, and it's a, a high, a high attention to quality too. So I'd wonder, I would wonder how much of their, uh, obsession with perfect produce overlaps, uh, with their obsession with high quality stuff and kind of the general pursuit of perfection in your, um, your career and your work and your day to day activities. So, I mean, I think that's probably a pretty complex issue for them that has a lot of different levels of meaning. So I don't, I don't even know if I'm prepared to kind of compare them to us but I would say from the outside a lot of other countries around the world uh kind of let's say excluding excluding Japan for a moment would probably ask the same question about the United States like oh so look at the United States they're so obsessed with perfect produce like maybe we don't talk about it as much so in Japan maybe they're making a point of saying explicitly publicly we have the most perfect round produce and we the way we display it is perfect in the United States, you don't really hear messaging like that. But in a lot of ways, we're still doing that. We're still right. displaying displaying food so it looks perfectly and displaying food that only has absolutely no surface blemishes, is the same size, the same exact shape, the same color. So in a lot of ways, we actually already are like Japan, maybe not to the same level of, of, of obsession. Of, a, of attention. I don't know enough about that yet. To yeah, it's, really I mean, this is that, like, you, you can only imagine how, you can only right. imagine how, uh, how labor intensive it, intensive oh, totally, it is totally. to grow that, that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, so, apparently there's no so shortage of it. Yeah, I mean, I would say like the, I would say a lot of other countries would already look at us and say, we already are obsessed with profession. I, and I would agree that that's to a large part uh, true, even if we don't acknowledge it or talk about it as much. Um, but mm. I think we're headed in a direction, again, given, you know, how you know fortunate we've been to grow so quickly in a lot of the national media attention you've been seeing, given to the, uh, the issue of food waste. I think if there's one thing the United States is obsessed with, it's with efficiency <laughs> yeah. and, and growth and kind of capitalist production. And there's going to be a lot of people who can do a ton of social good by also eliminating waste, which ultimately is an economic inefficiency. So I would say hopefully we can kind of use our own obsession with eliminating inefficiency and creating value through production to, to also create social and cultural value that moves us more towards accept, being more accepting of food that is imperfect. So that'd be, I think, again, I, think we're he I do think we're heading in a more positive direction. Um, and it's just going to take a, a lot of effort and a lot of education and awareness. Right. And and what I'm thinking, too, is that admitting it is half the battle. And like exactly. you say, we, oh, we yeah. are we are so obsessed with the efficiency, with capitalist greed, uh, that we don't recognize waste as being part of that somehow. And which right. is just, I mean, you, I keep bringing the chicken up, but you give me a chicken. I can make like, I just did this the other day. I made like... Six meals. No, actually, I still have some. At a minimum of six meals for two families out of one chicken. Okay, that's that's how efficient I. <laughs> and the bones <laughs> I turned around and gave to somebody else's animal. You know, awesome. like I I am like not 
I, I hate to see waste. I'm just constantly yep. passing things down the line. And, yep. you know, I, I, it's so it really boggles my mind when I, when I realize how yep. much the average person, I mean, sometimes I go, there's some people I can't even go to their house because yep. anything that's left on the, pl- you put your fork down for a second and somebody's scraping your plate, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> what the? <laughs> because I, and I just can't take that level of, of, I, I call it fake efficiency. You know, it's the person who's like, oh, well, you know, my house always has to be neat, but they never do anything. You know, like they they never, they literally never do anything. And yes, your house is neat because you don't do anything. <laughs> you're never, you're never, you know, you don't do your own taxes. You don't cook. You don't, uh, you don't have kids. You know, just like a, a myriad of things that I can think of, uh, that people will pride themselves on being able to, you know, keep up the charade, but, that's because everything else is falling apart. You know, sure. it's like, I think you're totally right. Acknowledging it is, is the biggest step in the battle. And that goes for the majority of social and environmental issues, just at the very least for first acknowledging there's a problem. And that's, that's certainly true uh, with most environmental issues. It first takes us admitting there's an issue, admitting there's waste and inefficiencies that contribute to it. They're not internalized in the market. And therefore you see cheaper products, even though, the cost to the environment and, and, and public health is externalized elsewhere and people end up paying it through healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, there's a huge structural problem and it starts with admitting it. Right, right. And I, I could even see if we get over this hump and, uh, you know, even in, in terms of let's just take the soup kitchen analogy, uh, or example, uh, is to, we have a, a place here on the island that is a consignment type shop. And it's uh, one of the things that they do is they hire people who have women who have been homeless or, you know, otherwise can't make ends meet uh, to to work in the shop. And, you know, why are we, you know, people end up on the streets, let's say they need or or sometimes they they technically have a roof over their head, but they just can't afford food after they pay the rent. Uh, why are these people, why can we not bring them in and start training them in preparing this stuff? You know, the, the churches are empty. Let's just face it. You know, very few people are going to church unless you go to like, you know, the Mormon church or something where everybody goes every Sunday. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for, from all intents and purposes, there, a lot of the churches are empty. And, and mm. we think about the mission of the church is supposed to be to feed the poor. You know, one of the missions, I should say, is taking care of the poor. So I, I like to see things in, in a very cyclical, uh, or maybe not cyclical, cyclical, but, um, interrelation, you know, just, just taking all of the, these elements. And it's like, well, look, you've got a, a possibly an untrained or a, uh, population, or at least a population that might need some retraining. Uh, but why not bring them into the mix as part of the picking up the food from the from the supermarkets and bringing it to the church? Yeah, learning, learn, yeah, learning how to prepare this stuff, how to start enjoying it because they've, you know, possibly they've never even eaten some of this stuff. You know, what are the, some of the the, the uh, tools and and the trade skills that we can give back to these people so that they can now, be, you know, go on to become members of society just like the rest of us? I'm so glad you brought that up. That's awesome, and I totally agree. <laughs> and there's actually a really cool initiative out of Oakland. Um, through a nonprofit that's a partner of ours, uh, awesome woman who runs that named Dana Fraz, and one of their biggest projects right now is called the Alameda Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And oh, in Alameda, 
uh, the little island-ish right off of Oakland, there's a, uh, a community of formerly homeless folks, and the Alameda Kitchen will be training some of them in, you know, should I say the culinary arts, how to cook, how to prepare nice. meals, um, paying them a fair wage, and then they use they will be using all food that would have been wasted. Um, some of that will come from us, some of that will come from other sources. So they'll make meals, um, formerly homeless people who receive training, and then they'll sell them at a low cost to the community, including some of those formerly homeless folks, folks in that own community. So it's like it's it's like this own uh, cycle there of kind of pr- a production that goes directly back to that exact same community, um, right. while also creating job training and combating food waste. It's like one of the most awesome um, holistic uh, initiative like this that I've heard of, and there's That's so many fantastic. ways to do that. Oh, that's so awesome. And, you know, when you were talking, I was just remembering because you were talking about the different places where they're sourcing things from. I would not be surprised that maybe this is the motivation we need to use. But if somebody owns their own business and they have that lemon tree that's dropping lemons, they can probably get a tax write off and money, you know, for donating. Mm-hmm. Money talks. And sometimes, you know, it's it's kind of knowing these fine points of the law, but I'm pretty sure right. that if someone owns their own business and they have that, that stuff rotting on the ground, which, you know, could be sold for X amount and they right. donate it at that amount that it could be sold for, I'm pretty sure right. they could get a tax break. So right. if anybody out there is a CPA and wants to chime in on this and let, let our listeners know whether or not this works, uh, maybe that's the, the, the kick in the pants that some people need to understand yes i can donate that oh yeah. well, i found five minutes i can stick it in a box right you know? exactly <laughs> monetary incentive would help a lot and i think i'm not sure i can't speak to whether or not those tax incentives that, that would obviously be ideal uh, currently exist but i do know from what i've heard from just the community and reading up is that they're not they're they're still not kind of strong enough or clear enough or obvious enough or communicated well enough so whether they do exist, it sounds like it's still like there. We need some more bulk there. Uh, it yeah. needs to be easier uh, for businesses to get access to this info, and then it needs to be a really strong um, tax tax incentive so that it you know exactly get that well, food to someone. Who well, can eat it. we we know that the that the Clintons and the Trumps of the world know these these ins and outs of the law, so we just need their lawyers <laughs> or or accountants to tell us what to do. <laughs> because apparently people don't like revealing their uh, their tax documents when they're running for office. Uh, so, <laughs> and there's a reason for that, right? So um, just as a closing note, because I, I should let you go. As a closing note, what are some of the things or what, give me two things right now that people can do to eliminate food waste? Uh, other than obviously purchasing, you know, becoming part of your uh, your club. What are some other things that uh, very simple ways that people can just do this for themselves? Okay, number one, the biggest thing you can do um, is eliminate food waste just in your own home. Um, so the the home is the single largest source of food waste in the entire country, um, and that might seem at first counterintuitive. Like, what homes are small compared to restaurants and grocery stores but it, but think about that for a moment. Where does most of the food ultimately end up? It ends up at your home, even if it was grown on. Uh, huge farms and sold at huge grocery stores. Ultimately, on aggregate, the homes, the you know, 300 million folks that live in homes across the country are what makes up the bulk of, of all of the food buying. So your home is the largest source of food waste. And so if you can cut back on food that sits in your fridge and goes bad because it's at the back, you know, that's one of the biggest issues. And, and again, I, I will keep 
bringing up Just Eat It because I think it's so cool and inspiring that visually it's one of the things that they show you is like we have these huge refrigerators and it makes us feel good to fill it up to the max and we just have all these sauces and vegetables and dairy and meat that's just sitting around going right. bad because we want to fill it up and we're like oh we'll eat it we'll get to it but we don't we forget like food goes bad and that's why historically people have, have had to buy food every day or every other day and before we had all of these um, you know, ways of preserving food so well and, and using right. preservatives and refrigerators. So, but even then our still, our food still goes bad. So a lot of it goes bad in the refrigerator. A lot of it goes bad because people uh, are unwilling to eat uh, uh, leftovers. So they scrape their leftovers into the trash. Um, right. um, or, or they look at, this is another thing. They look at a veggie or a fruit that has, has maybe grown a mild little moldy spot. Um, yeah. And, and the majority of us, again, it's amazing how quickly you can lose this knowledge in, in just a matter of a generation. But our grandparents used to know this stuff. And for some reason now we don't know. So we've <laughs> lost this knowledge. If we could remember how to cook and what it means when a food looks fresh and when it's going bad and, and the ways that you can still eat the rest of the fruit or veggie, even if you just cut off. I use the example of a tomato all the time. It's so visceral for me when I was younger. I would throw out whole tomatoes that oh, had a little moldy spot because I just – no one ever told me otherwise. And so I would just be like, oh, gross mold. And the whole tomato was gone, even though I could cut <laughs> off a little bit of that mold and eat the rest of it. It was the same with the apples. It was the same. If there was a little bruise, I didn't want it, you know, with an apple. Right. Same with a peach. Like, cut the bruise off, you eat it the rest of it. This, this perception of you'll somehow get sick or it's somehow gross if, if there's a little thing. So that's, yeah. After 20 years, I'm still training my husband. He comes oh, to yeah. me all the time. He, he like have, <laughs> you know, like a piece of cheese. He's like, I don't think it's good anymore. I'm like, cut the mold off. <laughs> Look at underneath. It's perfectly fine. Yep. Okay. Yep. People, yep. there's people in Appalachia. And I know this because I went to a school that did these missions to Appalachia. They're eating the mold too. Okay. So <laughs> besides which right. cheese is mold, right. but you know, right. I mean, right. I understand you don't want the, you don't want the dangerous stuff, obviously, yeah. but yeah. yeah but, but you know, it's like sometimes know it's just, right? that's Between exactly it. I was making a salad over the weekend and I had this tomato that was a little too soft for a salad. And right. I, and I actually almost threw it away. I started to right. throw it into the compost and I'm like, right. wait a minute. It's not <laughs> bad. It's just soft for a salad. And so right. I went and I got a couple more tomatoes and I pureed it up and I made a sauce. You know, hey, so there you, go. Right, right. <laughs> you, know you cook with it, right? Use it for something else. Right. So if we can increase our own awareness and education of, of the different things we can do with food in the different stages of its kind of life cycle. That's one thing. And the second thing is, that's the biggest personal thing I think you can do. Just be so conscious of food waste in your own home. Um, and anytime you eat out, certainly. Take take leftovers home. The amount of stuff that they throw out at restaurants is unfortunate. Uh, and then the second thing is look for initiatives in your community. Um, again, I know a lot about what's going on in the Bay Area, but there's a huge country out there and there's a lot of opportunity. And there's a lot of opportunity to do things like what I described with the Alameda Kitchen with Food Shift. There's uh, Food Recovery Network, which was actually started by Imperfect co-founders four years ago when they were in college. They donate, they recover and donate wasted food from campus dining halls on mm. uh, college campuses across the country. They're the biggest student-led food waste movement in the country. So if you're a student or no students, um, tell them to get involved in their local chapter or start a chapter. It's actually really easy and they're always looking to grow. Um, and then there's 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 a lot of nonprofits probably in your area that do some sort of food running activity where they go around and collect food from restaurants and cafes and other catering companies that is still perfectly fine. So whether you want to volunteer for that or again, if you're an entrepreneurial intrepid individual, start it. Like there's a lot of places in the country where none of this stuff exists. So look at the models that have uh, been successful and then and then get out there and do it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but you get you don't have to start it to get involved. You don't have to start it to support it. You can donate money. Uh, you can just tell your friends. You know, it's there's so many little things to support all these initiatives. Those are the biggest two things I would say. Right. Um, Right. I had to, uh, it's one of those things that I always have done, uh, intuitively. And I didn't realize I actually had to teach my daughter this, but she's, she's about to be 13 and, uh, she, uh, she didn't want to go to camp this summer and I kind of missed the ball on sending her to camp. So I was like, okay, you're going to be home. You're going to do stuff around the house. So I made her clean out the fridge. I was like, you know, the fridge is a disaster. Go clean it out. So I was like, do this door one day, do the next door the other day, do one shelf, whatever. So, but then I was like, where did stuff go? And what she had done was she put all the stuff that, you know, is going to last longer, like the pickles and the pickles and the pickles uh, <laughs> and the yogurts and yeah. you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, the condiments, all that stuff was in the front and all the food was in the back. Exactly. And yeah. I was like, I was like, no, 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 no. You got to put the condiments, the stuff that's not going to go bad in the back right, and then right. put the stuff that we should move in the front, you yeah, know? Right, right. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's actually, a, to just add to that real quick, there's, uh, in Just Eat It, there's one really cool thing that they did, which I still haven't tried and I, and I need to, is get, get whether it's an ice cube tray or something else, maybe it's even just a Tupperware. Stick a little Tupperware in your fridge that says, and then put a little note on it that says, use this first. Maybe it's uh, a half of an avocado or a half tomato or half an onion that you, know, yes. you chopped up for a meal and then you threw in there. And uh, let's be honest, like I've done it. Everyone's done it. You let that stuff rot because you're yes. like the next day, you're like, I don't want that because I don't want an avocado. And what are, you know, it's, so there's all these reasons. And, and, and also another thing, oh man, just don't get me started on how, how big the serving sizes of vegetables and, and fruits are because of a lot of the perfection we seek in the American grocery store. A lot of the stuff that's sold is huge. So you right. get, you know, you want to make a salad with a little red cabbage and you cut like a third of the cabbage off and then the other two thirds sits in the fridge. So, you know, reminding ourselves that, hey, listen, like food waste is not a good thing. You're paying for that waste ultimately. You're losing, you're wasting money. Find a, find a creative way to use that whole cabbage before it goes bad. Put a little ice tray there and says use this first. And even if you don't want more cabbage, you know, force yourself to find a creative way to use it. Um, right or just don't buy buy the smaller things at the grocery store yeah there's all sorts of ways you can like absolutely create these little mental reminders to, absolutely well i yeah. mean i had another situation last night where uh i had made a salad and usually i will dress the salad but um there i wasn't sure that the other people were on board with finishing the salad because i never i make a big salad they they're not hungry i make a small salad mom make another salad you know so <laughs> i'm like come on guys so i made this like in between size salad right sure, and sure. and i had and i had a a jar that I had made my own homemade dressing, all local ingredients, by the way. And <laughs> so I made my, my uh, salad dressing. It's on the side. And then my husband says, well, do you want me to put this on the salad? And I'm like, you know, what? I don't know what the heck you guys are going to eat. Because if we put it on the salad, the lettuce is going to wilt by tomorrow. Right. So and if you don't eat it, it. Yeah. so so if you, you know, so don't put it on and toss it unless you're going to eat the whole thing. He's like, well, right. I think we can eat the whole thing. I was like, okay, then put it on. But you know that if you dress that whole salad, that you're going to end up with yeah. wilty lettuce by the end of the meal. Yeah. If, if you're right. lucky, it'll last till the next day. But chances right. are it's going to be pretty gross and the texture is right. going to be all you know slimy right. and nobody's right. going to want to eat it. So I think right. those are some of the other little tricks oh, that yeah. we can be That's aware so, of. Yeah. Uh, you know, same thing with the fruit salad. If it starts yeah. to look really watery, you know, throw it in a pot with a, with a dot of butter and you may, you now you have some syrup for your pancakes, oh, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. just, I mean, there's just yeah. so many different ways that we can, yeah. we can play with this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, just don't, I think we, like you said, we, we are just too hot to, to toss things in the trash based on looks yeah. and, um, you know, not, 
because it really warrants being in the trash. Yeah, that salad example is a great example. I actually started, I totally understand that. No one likes wilty lettuce. So what I started doing with salads that I'm, same thing, I'll make a huge salad, dress the whole thing and be like, oh no, I'm not going to eat the whole thing. I started the next day, I'll make like a rice and bean dish and just throw that and all the veggies in it and kind of mix right. it up. So it kind of becomes like a, a veggie bowl, you know? So in that right. way, you know, the way the, the wilted salad just kind of tastes like like sauteed spinach. It's like, right. it's not like it's bad for you. It just doesn't, no. the texture's not great. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's a good point too, because uh, the Chinese actually cook their lettuce. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we don't think of it, but uh, you go to right. Chinatowns right. and a lot of times you'll find fried lettuce in your right, food. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so right. it's not, and we, we don't do it, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong if you do right, exactly. cook it. Right. So there's, yeah, there's always, a, there's always another um, thing. Well, one last comment I want to make because you yeah. you jogged my memory on this was uh there was a book written for probably a decade ago about bananas and it was the origin of the banana and how nobody wanted to eat a banana in Victorian society because of what it looked like and you know then they had to do a big promotion on bananas but the Chiquita banana song that was I know you know, that song. big <laughs> yeah <laughs> you want to sing, sing it, it for in us elementary school <laughs> <laughs> Chiquita banana right is that that one yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you can go on. <laughs> If you remember at the in that uh, jingle, she says uh, that don't put your bananas in the refrigerator. Exactly. Right. Yep. Do you know why that was? Because bananas like the climate of a very, very tropical equator. <laughs> yes and yes and no. Uh, well, this is the deal. You put it in the fridge and it looks like it's going bad, right? The, the skin turns black, yeah, it turns black. Yeah, exactly. but it actually keeps the banana fresher longer. They oh, wanted people to eat their bananas as fast as possible so they could go and oh. buy more bananas. Wow, <laughs> so, really? So you put them so on the- it was the, a marketing uh, tactic. Are it was serious? a marketing tactic. This, wow. this is what the guy who wrote the book says. Wow. And so so you keep them on the counter. They rot faster. You got to go buy more, more bananas. <laughs> Right. Whoa. Okay. I'm going to so, try that yeah. out. I'm totally going to test that out and see yeah. if that's true. I believe yeah. it. Wow. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, so, so many of the things that we take, I guess this is the, the take home point of the entire episode is so many of the things that we take for granted because we've been trained that way. We've been taught that way. We don't realize how much, uh, has been, uh, thrust upon us by marketing tactics of supermarkets right. of totally. uh, specific industries that have their their different uh, spin on you know why we should do things the way we do. Totally. So, um, anything that else that you would like to add before I let you go? I created a coupon code, uh, literally just nutrition heretic. Anyone who's listening and is in the area can use it to get fifty percent off a box. So. All right. Well, uh, and how? Okay, well, I guess if people want to get in touch with you, our guest heretic today, Evan Hazlett of imperfectproduce.com. Visit imperfectproduce.com and get information if you live in the Bay Area uh, to uh, or San Francisco to uh, get on his list and get your yummy, imperfect, delicious, sweet, juicy produce delivered <laughs> to your door once yep. a week. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for doing what you do because it's so important uh, as we've uh, illuminated in so many different ways why it's important. Uh, but you know what? Monsanto, uh, the last episode that ran was up on Monsanto and uh, their one of their propositions is that we need their stuff because there's not enough food for the world. There is enough food for the world. It's just that we threw it in the trash. So oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Evan, for your time. And uh Hopefully, we'll see you around soon when you start expanding. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com where you can download the Nutrition Heretics free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks.